It is so good to have you in church today. If you're a guest with us today, um, I know we've got many returning guests from Easter last weekend. What an amazing weekend last weekend at Easter. Absolutely incredible. We had between Good Friday and Sunday morning, uh, we had 91 people say yes to Jesus. Come on, somebody. So lots of follow-up and connections that uh, we're making over the week. And can we put our hands together for all of our teams that serve so faithfully? Four services. Um, and an extra special, you guys need to shout them down, our kids team. Come on, somebody. Like, yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of reproduction running around last weekend, and uh, it got a little hectic. So our kids team over here, thank you guys for doing an incredible, incredible job. We begin a brand new series today. Um, but before we, we dig into the core of my message, um, I'll give you kind of, I want to give a preface. I want to just talk some things out really quick. And I want to say this today for all of the linear people in the room today uh, that are hoping for points at some point today, I'm going to do something I've never done before and I have no points today. So it's more of a narrative message. So you need to pull your notebooks out right now, your pens, uh, your papyrus and feather quill, whatever you write with (laughs) in here. Um, and try to grab, we'll have notes on screen, so on and so forth. But today is a lot of groundwork that we have to lay for this next 10 weeks. And so I just want to talk through some things that I've written down here and um, kind of a preface to this series. So before we get in today, I want to take a moment to preface some things. As I feel it's important in order to provide a clear direction and some guardrails to a series like this. Over the next 10 weeks, we are going to be venturing into territory that is nuanced, complex and at times abstract. In order to speak with as much clarity as possible, there will be times when our other communicators and myself will work to simplify the concepts and truths that we are working with. The aim is to take what are very big and at times extremely personal realities and distill them down to a place where we're able to work more succinctly on them. In no way are we trying to minimize experiences wounds, perspectives, and values. However, many of those things will be challenged and poked at as we work to find healing and wholeness in and through this series. This will be a series of deep work. And if you're here for it, I believe that many can and will find the healing and freedom that we need and have been searching for in our lives. I'm going to say that one more time with as much faith as you can muster today. If you are here for it, I believe, and hopefully you believe as well, that we can and will find the healing and freedom that we need and we've been searching for in our lives. Some of you weren't here last week. You're like, what is he talking about? Um, We're doing a series on the soul, healing, deep work, our minds, our will, our emotions. We'll deal with all of this. In this series, you will hear thoughts and quotes. Please hear me when I say this, because I'm only going to make this qualifier one time, and then we're going to roll for the next 10 weeks. In this series, you will hear thoughts and quotes from various writers, pastors, theologians, and thinkers. As a disclaimer, just because I use a quote from someone does not mean I completely align or prescribe to their overall doctrinal and theological position or general belief and thought process. The quotes and thoughts that I will be sharing, I share in a general support of this series, aim and intention. 
As one who is an avid reader, I have found a wealth of information through various authors and thinkers. However, everything is ultimately brought to the council of Scripture, and it is my and our greatest authority in a series like this. Can someone shout amen? Amen. Amen. So, with that being said, turn with me in your Bibles to 3 John. No chapters, just verses in 3 John. 3 John, this will be our guiding text for this series and where we'll begin today. And if you don't have your Bible, it's all good. It'll be up on the screen as well. 3 John, 1 through 4 says this. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Everybody shout truth. truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Every shout soul. soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. Come on, somebody. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It would be in the New King James Version of this particular piece of Scripture that we would read it this way. Uh, John writing, he would say, I pray that you prosper as your soul prospers. So today as we begin our series, Shadows in the Light, I want to speak to you from this subject today, deeper than I thought. Deeper than I thought. As we look at the life center of who we are, our soul. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, and has the ability to transform us from the inside out. God, speak to us through your word today. We need it. Your word is truth. It's a light, it's a lamp unto our feet and path. So God, th through your word today, would you guide us? Would you speak to us? Would you heal us today? Even at the outset of this series, in Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. And everybody shouted. Amen. Come on, can we give praise to Jesus just one more time? Come on, amen and amen. Um, I spent a lot of years coming back and forth from Seattle to here. Uh, if you don't know much of my background, uh, my, my dad's side of the family, the parish side of the family, is all from Utah. Um, he's one of five brothers uh, in a large family that have been here for the longest time. And so after my parents divorced, my brother and I would spend the summers here every other Christmas and uh, President's Week in Seattle. You get a whole week for President's Week. So we would come here, we'd go skiing, snowboarding, and everything like that. So that's, that's kind of how we fell in love with the state of Utah. Uh, I always wanted to come back here because we love the mountains and the rivers and the snow and everything that you can do in the outdoors here. I never thought that we would be coming back here to plant a church. <laughs> Surprise, Bible college. Um, so anyways, in my formative years when we would come here during the summer, my dad would take us to a little place that's become one of my favorite in the world, and that is Bear Lake, Utah. How many of you have been to Bear Lake before? Come on, it's the Caribbean of the Rockies. Let's go. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, but my, my wife and I and the kids, we, we love going up there. It's getting crazier now. It's getting busy. So my family actually used to have a cabin right on the lake. Uh, whenever the lake was up, you'd have water at the cabin. And then whenever the lake was down, you would walk three miles out to the beach. And so if you've been to Bear Lake, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, I remember growing up there and we'd do, we'd do jet skis and boats. And especially on the years that the lake was out, 
used to drive down on the beach, and if you've done this before in, in earlier years of Bear Lake, you could drive all the way out to where the water is, and sometimes it's miles out. And so we would drive all the cars, it'd be a big old caravan, and we'd bring the boat down and the jet skis down, and we, we'd do all this stuff. And, and I remember just playing around in the water all day long. And one of the things that my dad said to me, he said, Jason, uh, I'm an avid swimmer, I love to swim. He says, Jason, uh, you need to be careful though, because what would happen is that the lake would go out. There was a substantial drop-off between where the shore was at, where you would wade in, and then all of a sudden it would get really, really deep. How many of you know this about lakes? That, like you can walk just a little bit, and, and those of us with kids, we have to be very cautious with our kids because they are not expecting to have such a massive drop-off all of a sudden where it goes from just knee-level water to all of a sudden you step off and you are down six feet. And so I remember, I remember my dad telling me, he's like, you need to watch out for the drop-off. It gets deep. What has always fascinated me about that moment and still does to this day is the fact that there was only one step between shallow and the deep. And I believe this is where a lot of us live. One step away from the deep. And this, is, this would be why many stay stuck where they are at. Because in order to find healing in our lives, we must go deeper. We must acknowledge that there's a deeper part of us. A part that we tend to not even recognize as an element of who we are. Let me pause for just a second. I want to speak to those of us who have been Christians for a long time. Can I just say this? Please don't be that person who thinks this doesn't apply to you. Because I know how we can think sometimes. I've been following for Jesus. I've been following Jesus for a really long time. I know everything. Stop. No, you don't. And that's the problem with Christians is we have a tendency to mature our, ourselves past Jesus. So I want you to go deep with me. For those of you who may be new today and you're like, man, he's just going at it right out the gate. Yes, welcome to the well. Okay? We've got 10 weeks to find healing. We've got more than that, obviously, but I'm just putting like a little bookends to it for us, okay? Show of hands, how many of you, like me, want to continue to find greater degrees of healing in our lives? Okay? And I believe with faith that we're going to do that in this series. To talk about the soul is to talk about the deep. To talk about the soul is to look into who we really are. It's to look deeper into our hangups and our hurts and our wounds and our wanderings and, and why do we do what we do? Why do we tend to fight ourselves more than we need to? Why do we seem to be looking over our shoulders constantly? Why can't we let go of the, of the past? Why are we always offended, put out, moody, and one breeze away from a bad day? These are the issues of the soul. In his book, Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard, which uh, that's this book right here. There's going to be a lot that we are adapting from it. This is a powerful book. If you are somebody who likes to read and get into stuff, our entire staff's going through this right now. This is a big, deep book. And so you'll hear a lot of adaptation from, from this book today. But he says in his book, the very first thing that we must do is to be mindful of our souls, to acknowledge them. You see, in spiritual formation, he goes on to say, in transformation, it's necessary to take the soul seriously and deal with it regularly and intentionally. He'll go on to say intelligently as well. You know, as Christ followers, as people of faith, we can be intelligent about the things that we need to understand about our faith system in our life. Okay? 
See, for many of us, this will be a new exploration and an acknowledgement of a piece of our identity that has gone unnoticed, undeveloped, and largely uncared for. Let me say it this way. You cannot properly care for the soul if you don't first consider it. See, many of us are, are, are given to self-care. You heard that? Yeah. You see it on social media all the time? I got self-care today. <laughs> just caring for myself. This is soul care, people. And it's not just soul care, but it's soul transformation. Yeah. It, it's soul healing. Yeah. See, the truth is, is that we tend to consider many other parts of who we are other than our soul, don't we? We tend to believe that the weariness that we feel is about our body or our mind or our will or our emotions. So we take one more break, one more vacation, one more spa day, one more shopping spree, one more golf trip, one more day in the mountains, one more drink, one more date, one more illicit experience, one more high, one more episode, one more bite, one more click, one more scroll, one more tantrum, one more, one more, one more, only to get back down or, or done and still be weary. Why? Because we are trying to apply topical ointment to subterranean tissue, which is our soul. So this would be the invitation of Jesus to all of us. Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, listen to what he says. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. Because I am lowly and I'm humble in heart. And look at his promise. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now what an invitation. Now, mind you, this isn't the world's invitation. The, the world's invitation is this. Cast off all restraint. Go buck wild. Right? Because... You shouldn't have anything on you. Notice Jesus doesn't say in order to find rest for your souls, we cast off restraint. No, he says you take something upon you. It's the yoke that we have in connection with Jesus. And he says, he uses the term burden. So notice it's not a casting off of something. It's not a living in total freedom and, and, and personal anarchy. He says, hey, listen, I want you to exchange the burden of your life. I want you to exchange the burden of the world around you. I want you to exchange the burden that you have on your shoulders right now. And I want you to receive something else that is in me. And he says, I promise you that if you would take this on, you will find the rest that you are looking for. So my prayer is over the next 10 weeks, we would collectively say yes to Jesus' invitation to find rest and healing in our souls and subsequently many other areas of our lives as we look at our souls and the impact that it has on other parts of who we are. So what is the soul? Great question. I'm glad you asked. In his book, The Simplicity of Salvation, Adrian Rogers comments, Paul also spoke of the soul. Quoting Paul, he says, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved timeless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say the Greek word for soul is the word suke. It's the word we get psychiatry from, psychology from, and psychological from. The interesting thing is, is that over the course of history, this word has been transformed to simply mean the study of our mind, not the study of something deeper. 
Biblically, we tend to see two words currently translated as soul. In the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, nephesh, and in the New Testament, it would be the word suke. In a rather dark and ominous fashion, Jesus himself comments on the soul. Listen to what he says. And uh, for those of you who think Jesus just says like really pretty nice things all the time, wait for this one. <laughs> no one tweets this verse ever. Matthew 10, 27 through to 28. Jesus says, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. Man, just preach that right there. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. Hallmark never quoted that one. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> so this is Jesus speaking to the reality of the soul. And we use these scriptures just to highlight that, that I'm not making up something, that, that scripture is rife with soul talk, Okay. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8, um, again, this is from now the Apostle Paul. We, we receive a, a rather robust yet cryptic teaching concerning the soul. This is what he writes, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Since we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who, uh, who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we are always confident. And know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So Paul's bringing a designation. He's starting to, uh, for, the, for the sake of clarity, bring some division to who we are, the makeup of who we are. Why? Because the Bible speaks to deeper parts of who we are. Can I just tell you that the Bible is not a self-help message? Come on, somebody. The Bible is so much more than keys to this and keys to that. The Bible speaks to the depths of who we are. According to Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation to the Heart, listen to what he says. And this is a great definition. This is going to bring some of the definition now to, to soul for us. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. It is the life center of the human being. It regulates whatever is occurring in each of those dimensions. If you're wondering what the dimensions are, we'll get there. And how they interact with each other and respond to the surrounding events and the overall governance of your life. The soul is deep in the sense of being basic or foundational, and it is also in the sense that it lies almost totally beyond conscious awareness. These other dimensions of self <clears throat> are basically understood as the mind, write this down, the will, emotions, and body. Now, the body is subject to the governing reality of these areas of ourself as the body, I need to hear an amen on this, the body cannot act unto itself. Right? We tell our bodies what to do. Okay? 
So it can't act into itself. So the even more important governing aspects of who we are is our mind, will, and, and emotions. The soul is an immaterial reality of our lives and therefore not an area that academia or the scientific community gives much of a nod to. This is why much of our modern thought is given to exploring each of those areas of who we are independently of each other and compartmentalized in their impact on our lives personally and socially. So to clarify, academia and science don't work on the soul, do they? They try to bring clarity to our mind, our will, our emotions, and our body, and they do it in such a way to compartmentalize it so they could say, you can work on your mind, but not work on your will, and they don't actually interact or play well with each other. So many of us are living compartmentalized lives where our will is out of whack, but our mind we're working on. Y'all with me? But what we fail to realize is that the world right now, and you're going to hear me make this comparison a lot, the world right now is working really hard to dissect who we are and allow us to play well with the one area of who we are that we like more than the other areas, when scripturally speaking, we are actually fully integrated people that God has a plan and a desire of wholeness for. He doesn't just want your mind healed or your will healed or your emotions healed or your body healed. He wants your soul healed because they all interact together and they work together. Why? To produce a healthy and flourishing life this side of heaven. He goes on to say this is powerful. The outcome of a healthy soul is a person who is prepared for and capable of responding to the situations of life in ways that are good and right. Many of us have asked the question, have you ever asked this question before? Why do I do what I do? Come on. Can we just be honest in church today? This is gonna be like a therapy session, okay? Have you ever said this? Why do I say what I say? Why does, why, why, why does every time somebody say hi to me, I'm like, hi. Why am I so, let's just be honest, why am I so jumpy all the time? Why am I so, why am I so down all the time? Now remember the qualifier. I'm not trying to minimize and say that there's certain aspects of our brain where chemistry's off and, and, and different things are going on. But I think for some of us, we have to pay close to the very real reality that a lot of the things that we are experiencing is not because we're overtly broken in these areas, it's because we've neglected our soul. That's why David would say, in the Psalms, he would say, he would talk to his soul. Soul! This is how I talk to my soul. I feel like my soul's right here. I've got no, no proof for that, but soul. It's where the good food hits me. Come on, somebody. Soul food. So David would go, he would be like, hey, soul, why are you so down? Why are you, why are you downcasting? And then he'd be like, soul? Get up! He would tell his soul to praise. Why? Because David was assessing this truth. If I can get my soul in line, the rest of me will get in line. If I can get my, if I can get my soul praising God, then my mind's going to get there, my will's going to get there, my emotions are going to get there. And guess what? Maybe my body will get there as, as well. Get up my, someone shout soul. So a healthy soul enables us 
prepares us, makes us capable of responding to the situations of life in ways that are good and right. I want to say something really challenging today. I'll tell you as a pastor, the past four years, how I've watched Christians respond to the life in the world around us has sorely disappointed me. And the reason that we've responded the way that we have, I'm just going to step out there and say is because many of us have ignored what's happening in our soul. And the response that we've seen has come from a soul place. Fear, lack of faith, doubt. Y'all, y'all see what I'm talking about? Because if the past four years have thrown us off kilter and made us jump ship on faith, wait for the future. Did you know that God promises tribulation? That's awesome. Yay. Right? No one reads that scripture either. We want all the promises. We go, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Yeah, tribulation. That's a promise of God. And so, come on, we got to get our souls intact. When investigating the makeup of who we are, from a faith or spiritual point of view, we have to consider the soul and realize its governing role in our lives as spiritual beings. This is why the writer of Hebrews would say that God's word is so important for our lives because it speaks uniquely to the overall makeup of who we are in total as God's creation. Listen to Hebrews chapter four, verses 12 through 13. Is the Bible okay with everybody? It says this, for the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We're going to give account. And so today you need to be aware that you are naked and exposed to him. Some of us are going like, man, we, we, we think things and do things and feel things. And we're like, yeah, I don't, I don't think God knows that. Yeah, newsflash, he does. He's not surprised. He's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they thought that. I had no idea. I had no idea they were feeling what they were feeling and going through what, what they were going through. And this is why many of us actually avoid reading God's word is because there's something deep inside of us that knows it gets to those areas. And so we're like, ah, you ever been there before? You ever opened the word and you're like, all right, here we go. You're going to poke at something today, right? This is actually right now why, why, why culture is working really, really hard is it, 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 to remove as much of it as possible because we love all the good parts, don't we? We love the feel-good parts. We love the parts where we walk away and we're like, yeah. And the other parts that convict us and challenge us and tell us we're out of whack, we don't like that part. And so we go, oh, Jesus didn't really mean that. What? How many of you agree with me, like theologically and probably just in logic, Jesus meant everything that he said? (laughs) Four hands, let's try this again. Some of you are like, that's a trick question. How many of you agree with me that Jesus meant everything that he, that he said? Right. So if he meant everything he said, we can't take it away from him. 
We can't go, well, that part he didn't mean. He was just, you know, being flippant with his words. So the word of God is living and it's effective. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. So if we go back to our foundational scripture found in 3 John, we will read that Gaius is walking in the truth. Is this all right with everybody today? Remember, we got no points, so I'm just going to ramble on and be fun. (laughs) Gaius is walking in the truth, which is an important part of the equation for a healthy soul and subsequently an overall healthy life. Many of us want healthy lives without walking in the truth. Settle it. And we wonder why we're, we're, we're health is escaping us. And I'm not just talking about physical health, all around health. Could it be that we're not necessarily walking in various forms of truth according to the ultimate truth? And just so you know, I, I, like as your pastor, I'm just letting you know, in this series, I don't see anything else as my authoritative truth. This is my authoritative truth. And I believe everything that this word says, and I believe that this is optimal for human flourishing. I believe this helps us get our minds right, our hearts right, our bodies right, come on, our emotions right, and our souls right. It is the Word of God. It is living and active. I still got seed in my Bible. That's awesome. (laughs) Here's the truth. Write this down today. God's truth is the required diet for a healthy soul. God's truth is the required diet for a healthy soul. See, many of us work on our physical bodies, but neglect our souls. And then we wonder why there are other parts of us, our mind, our will, and our emotions that seem unstable, out of alignment, or just generally broken. You see, when the regulatory part of who we are is weary, exhausted, wounded, and sick, so goes the rest of us. Let me say that one more time. When the regulatory part of who we are, that soul, is weary, exhausted, wounded, and sick, so goes the rest of us. Both John and the writer of Hebrews submit to us that the acquisition of and walking in the truth aids in the process of a healthy and healed soul. So let's go to a familiar illustration that we used in our Holy Spirit series. How many of you are here for our Holy Spirit series at the beginning of the year? As we started out uh, this this process of spiritual formation, I want to go to uh, a a familiar illustration which we have right here, and this is how the soul interacts. So if you remember, this jar represents our body, okay? It's the holder of things. Now, if there was water poured in here, which there was during the Holy Spirit series, that represented our spirit. And if you remember, we had some dye that we would squirt in there, and that represented the baptism of or the infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're looking at a different aspect of who we are, okay? And so what we're looking at is mew, okay? Mind, emotions, will. The thing that enlivens it or integrates it, correlates it, keeps it all together and functioning healthy is our soul. You see how that works? And so all together, we are a complete, intact, integrated person. Now, this is hard because this is more abstract than that. I'm I'm making it really rudimentary. I'm making it very simple right here. Like, yeah, your soul's a bag. What I'm trying to do is at least simplify the concept so that we have the ability to recognize kind of where this stuff sits and where this stuff works its place out. 
See, what we have to see is that our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, and our body, they're not independent of each other, but rather they are connected. Now, let's remember what the soul does. This should be on the screen so you can write it down. Our soul correlates. According to the dictionary, this is what correlates means. It means to have a mutual relationship or connection in which one thing affects or depends on the other. The soul integrates. Once again, dictionary, to combine one thing with another so that they become whole. It enlivens, again the dictionary, making something more entertaining, interesting, or appealing. I love that one. This is kind of where the seat of our personality sits. That that's actually a part of who you are. That when we are integrated at the deepest level, my personality is actually being the best that it can. How many of you would agree with me? You've got great parts of your personality. Okay, one of you. Let's try this again. (laughs) Show of hands. How many of you would say, there's some great parts of my personality? Okay, awesome. How many of you would go, another hand, there's some ugly parts of my personality? Right? And the realization is this, is the more that I actually work on soul-level stuff, the more those beautiful things of who I am come out, and the more the negative things start to lie a little bit more dormant because they are subject to this regulatory action happening. Y'all with me still? So the, old, the, the soul is interconnected with the other aspects of who we are and is unique in its role and impact upon these other areas of our lives. Remembering that we are fully integrated beings designed with wholeness in mind according to God's plan and desire for our lives. Y'all with me still? Come on, A2, you with me still? Everybody online. This means that our soul, when it is weary, wounded, or ruined, a regulatory dysfunction begins to occur in our lives as our soul regulates, correlates, integrates, and alivens the areas of our mind, our will, and our emotions. To be clear, these other areas of our lives are subject to God's truth as well and are and treated and are to be treated with disciplinary actions that are required to promote health and vibrancy as a whole. We'll talk more about this in and through this series, but for instance, just throw some things out there. Our mind is to be renewed and transformed in alignment with God's word. Romans chapter 12, verse two, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, oh, this is beautiful, pleasing and perfect will of God. You can discern that, all right? Our will is to be submitted to God in order to, for his will to be accomplished through us. Hebrews chapter 13, 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, check this out, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our emotions. They're called to be held up in light of the cross. Oh, it's getting quiet in church today. (laughs) Our emotions are called to be held up in light of the cross. Galatians 5, 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Our bodies are to be subjects of daily sacrifice unto God as worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So every single day, think about this. This 
is just one aspect of worship. Come on, I said this is just one aspect of worship. This is just one aspect of worship. Singing is just one aspect of worship. Serving is just one aspect of worship. Giving is just one aspect of worship. That day that you walk out of here and you go, man, I have to crucify my body today and present it as a living sacrifice unto Jesus, that is your worship. And I'm like, it doesn't have the team singing with you while you do it. Wouldn't that be awesome? We'd probably be better at it. If the team's here singing, I speak Jesus from the mountains, and you're like, crucify my flesh, right? It'd be easier if it had a soundtrack, but it doesn't. Personal sacrifice never has a soundtrack. Maybe it does. It sounds like this. <laughs> That's the soundtrack of sacrifice. Is this all right with everybody today? Someone shout soul. Soul. All throughout Scripture, over these next 10 weeks, myself and our other communicators are going to deal with this aspect of who we are. Some of us today are going to find even just a degree of healing right now, because you're saying this in your mind and your heart right now, oh, that's what's going on. You've been searching for years. And potentially today, words just got put to the groan that Paul was speaking about. Oh. That's what this is. She's like, it's not, it's not my mind, but it kind of is. It's not my will, but it kind of is. It's not my emotions, but it kind of is. It's not my body, but it kind of is. And then we said soul and something sat and you went, oh, there it is. That's what's weary. That's what's tired. You've taken all the things, all the medications. You've gone down all the existential paths. You've read all the books. You've carried around all the crystals. You bought all the doTERRA. I pray that you prosper as your soul prospers. <laughs> Church, I am telling you right now, and I don't say this that often, I don't know if I've said this in 10 years of being a church, this will change our lives. It'll change the trajectory of your life, your family, your marriage. Right now there are marriages on the line. And it's not because you have bad communication. I mean, your communication sucks, but <laughs> there's a reason for that. Right? There's a reason for that. Because you know how to talk. Oh, can we just get real, like nitty-gritty? Yeah. Like, you talk all day at work to people. You, you, like, you talk so well that you could sell anything, and you can't talk to me, and we can't talk to each other, and you can't talk to the kids. Yeah, that's because you don't have to have your soul intact when you're performing for your job, but when you are engaged in your marriage, it's got to be there. 
Why? Because deep calls out to deep. I'm not talking for, to my wife from a performance standpoint. I'm talking to her from my soul. Why? Because we engaged in covenant relationship. We are now one. There's a deeper part of me. You ever wondered that? Why am I so good at this in the world? It's because we're performing. That's all it is. That's all it is. You do your job, you're performing. You go to school, you're performing. When you're in pub, we're performing. You, you don't, this is why there's tension in these places. It's because when you get home, you're not performing anymore. That's where you're real. That's why as a single person, you perform. And just so, just so you know, when I talk about this, when I, when I go back and forth, when I toggle back and forth between marriage and singleness, singles, you need to hear this right now. Marriage is not the pinnacle for your life. It, it does not make you a whole or functioning person. That's why we're talking about this. She's like, when I get, no, you'll just find someone to perform for. Right now you're performing for you. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You're trying to trick yourself. And then you go on a date and you spend all the energy that you have to make sure they don't see this about me and they don't feel this about me. Because if they knew what was going on in me and if they knew where my heart was at and if they knew where my mind was at, they wouldn't be sitting at dinner with me. And then so you go home after you're done performing, exhausted and weary and burdened. And can I tell you, that's not anything else but a soul issue. You were not meant to perform. It's not who you've been designed to be. How many of you have heard this scripture before in Ephesians? We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Check this out. Listen to this. Write this. Someone needs to write this down today. Workmanship doesn't perform. How many of you know? You know when you see workmanship. It's not performing for you. You know it because you're like, oh, it just sits there. Confident in what it is. That's why when you walk by a painting, that's workmanship. The soul. I'm gonna invite the team up. I believe Psalm 1, one through six, gives us a beautiful picture of one living a healthy, integrated and spirit-led life. One whose soul is healthy and intact. The psalmist does this by comparing and contrasting two different types of people. Listen to what the psalmist says. Psalm 1, chapter 1. Psalm 1, 1 through 6. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Truth. Or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. We can translate how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of culture and the world around us or stand in the pathway of sinners. I'm just trying to help them. You're not their savior, let their savior do it. 
or sit in the company of mockers. Get off of Twitter. Stay out of the comments. That's the Jason Parrish translation. I'm speaking to myself right now. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates it. Meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteousness. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. The psalmist, the psalmist gives us a picture of the good life. The life that John would describe as prosperous or thriving. The life that Jesus said was found in him and the life that I believe he wants us to have. This is not a life without problems or pain or illness or accidents. It's not a life void of struggle and hardship or one that does not require grit and perseverance. But it is a life that bears its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. So today... I have no points for you. I've never done this before. <clears throat> but with the scope of this message and where we'll be going next week, I have to leave it right here. But I do want to leave us with four questions that I want us to wrestle with this week. I want you to pray about it, journal about it, discuss it with your table group or some friends that you have here. Can I just say discuss this with friends that are trying to go in the same direction as you? Yeah. Right? Not the random barista. Hey, what do you think of the soul message? talk about these questions in the car ride home, over lunch, dinner, coffee. If you don't have a friend, find one in the lobby. There's hundreds of them around. Be like, hey, I've got no one to talk to about this question. Will you go, will you go to coffee with me? Someone say yes, please. Four questions for consideration. The first one's this. Take a picture of it if you need to. This might help. Here's the question. Have I ever taken the time to acknowledge that there is a deeper part of my identity one that has potentially been left unattended and largely uncared for? That's the question. Have I ever taken the time to acknowledge that there is a deeper part of me? One that has potentially been left unattended and largely uncared for. Second question, they'll all stay up. What comes to mind when dealing with the concept of the soul and its regulatory impact on my life? What comes to mind? What do you think about? You have to wrestle with this. Because some of you right now in this room, listen, I'm good with the tension. You're like, I don't even know about this whole soul thing. I, I don't know if I'm there yet. I think mind, will, and emotions. I'm linear in process. This is a faith journey for you. Some of you are going to have to cross a line to realize there's a, there's a deeper part of me. <clears throat> Number three, here's the third question. I love this question. Do you see the Psalm 1 man or woman as a realistic possibility for your life? Because some of you, your soul is so ruined right now, you do not see prosperity in your future. And when I say prosperity, I'm not talking finances and things like that. I'm talking about like life going well for you. Healthy relationships, healthy thought life, healthy situations and circumstances. Come on, somebody. Do you see the Psalm 1 man as a realistic possibility for your life? That's a big question. 
Last question. Actually, two more. One won't be on the screen. Here's the fourth question. With as much honesty as possible, what would you say? What would I say? The current condition of my soul is. My mom so lovingly reminded me this morning of a quote in Genesis 1, question that God would ask Adam and Eve, where are you? Where's your soul? I've got a scale of 1 to 10 if that helps you. 1 being ruined, leveled, gross, burdened, destroyed. 10, living my best life. Where are you at? Where are you today? Next weekend, I want to invite you back. We're going to keep going. And it's going to get heavy next weekend because we're going to, we're going to look at what a ruined soul looks like. And we're going to look at the repercussions of a ruined soul. And I, I kid you not, as I'm like... As I'm studying this, man, I'm, my life's been ruined because there's still dark parts of my soul. There's still things that I've got to work through. So next week, we're going to look at it. What, what, is it. what does it look like? And then what are the repercussions? Because next week, when we talk about some of these things, I can guarantee you many of us are dealing with these issues. And it'll help us go like, oh, I got some soul problems. In Jesus' mighty name, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth for us today. Thank you for your conviction and your challenge. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I want to ask you the last question. And here it is. Have you said yes to Jesus? The Bible tells us that Jesus is the shepherd and the overseer of our soul. And so we're going to pray a prayer together, all together today. I don't want to leave anybody out. But if you'd be saying, man, Jason, that's me. I need to say yes to Jesus. Would you make this your prayer today? Because I'll tell you, there are no steps ahead of us when it comes to doing this work if that first step isn't Jesus. He is the one that gives you the power, the authority, the ability to work through and conquer these things. The Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors, more than overcomers in Christ. So if today you'd be saying, man, Jason, that's me. I need to say yes to Jesus. And you've never done that before. Make this your prayer today. We're going to do it all together so we don't leave anybody out. Come on, as loud as you can. Everybody say, Jesus. Jesus. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me. Change me. Make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. I'm sorry for doing it my way. Today, I'm repenting and I'm deciding to follow your way. Thank you for salvation through grace. In Jesus' mighty name.